Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Dave Callender and back with us from Remax Twin City Realty. It's Canada's top real estate agent, Faisal Susie Walla. Hi, Faisal. How are you doing? Fine. Thanks, David. How are you? I, I'm doing well. Uh, finally getting out and enjoying a bit of the summer. I hope you are too. Yes, yes. Happy to be out and the sun is shining, so no complaints. And uh, as usual, though, I expect you're still a very, very busy guy uh, between all that you do. And of course, the fact that, that we want to mention Faisal is a best-selling author. I, I just looked at the listing for The Real Deal, Billion Dollar Real Estate Broker on Amazon, and uh, looks like you got five stars across the board on your reviews, sir. Well, my readers are being very kind, and I appreciate that very much. <laughs> so if you'd like to uh, get a hold of a copy or take a look that is on, on sale on, on Amazon it's available as a uh, book and also an audio book and throughout the hour if you have uh, questions you'd like to get answered go to homeshack.com lots of great uh, information there of course you can also call Faisal at 519-624-5555 on the show today our main topic throughout the hour is going to be protecting seniors and those who are close to retirement age. Faisal, why why was this important for you to, to do a show about? Um, with my career, you know, I've, I've been in the business just over 30 years now, and uh, many of my clients uh, have been calling me that I would have sold homes to 25 or 30 years ago, um, or even 20 years ago, who are now approaching a retirement age or are they are now seniors and I'm surprised to hear some of the alternative options that they've engaged in to get through their retirement and um, some of them you know I think are great because they've invested money and they've got a stock portfolio and mutual funds and they have various income streams to get them through their retirement others only had their principal residence and um, they've gone the way of a reverse mortgage and we've all heard the ads on television and um, radio about reverse mortgages and I thought it would be important to just discuss you know the pros and cons of reverse mortgages what they really are and just give give some information on it now it's a very complex topic and we probably won't cover everything so I always encourage people to get the advice of an expert in that field talk to your personal banker and talk to your financial advisor to make sure that if you're going to engage in a reverse mortgage or any kind of a mortgage or a line of credit that you have all the facts um, and today i hope to highlight some of them all right well then let's start with the simplest uh, question then uh, what is a reverse mortgage how does it work so a reverse mortgage is basically a lien or a loan that is put against your home which gives you a set amount of money so that you can live through your retirement without having to make payments so you must be over 55 years of age your maximum borrowing is 55 percent of the value of your home so if your home is worth a million dollars you can borrow up to five hundred fifty thousand. now you must pay back that loan only at the time that the last living person who was on title passes on. So that's where all the complexities could come in. Or if you live to an age where the payments which were accumulating, because you're not making monthly payments, your 
reversing the mortgage, meaning that the monthly payments are just accumulating each month. And by the end of your life, you may end up owing a certain amount of money on that home that now may or may not be the value of your home. So there's a lot of um, points that we have to consider here. And what are some of the reasons that, that someone might want to, to take a look at this? What, why would they want to borrow that money? Okay, so let's look at, first of all, like how it works. So basically, you must pay off any of the debt that is registered against your property. So if you have a line of credit, a first mortgage, a second mortgage, that must all be paid off. And you can use the funds from a reverse mortgage to do that. That money will then be used for paying bills, covering your health care, um, any items that you know you need to basically survive and live in your existing home. You can take your entire equity out, which is the 55%, or you could take it out over time if you wish. No payments are required. So how it works is um, you borrow this money, you just let the debt, monthly debt. So if your monthly debt is $1,200, $1,500 a month, that will just accumulate every single month until you or the last person that is on title passes on. And at that point, that entire debt must be paid back in full. You must also pay back that debt in full if you sell the property before you pass on, or if you decide to go into a retirement home or, or a different accommodation. Um, as long as you are not in default, you do not have to pay back the debt. Now, what does default mean? Because you're not actually making payments. What that means is that you're not engaged in illegal activity in your home. You didn't make a false statement on your application. Um, you must keep your home in good repair. So that's another thing. You know, your mortgage company doesn't usually come by and say, hey, you know, your deck is not as sturdy as it should be, so we're going to call the loan on you. So there's certain things that your contract of a reverse mortgage will have, which you must fulfill. Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned a few of the reasons why you might want to, to borrow some money. Are there, are there any other reasons you'd consider dipping into a reverse mortgage? Well, it's just essentially it's for anything that you need to uh, supplement your income and not have that debt over your your head where you have that monthly payment. So many people will resort to going to a reverse mortgage because they simply don't want to have that fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars a month mortgage payment. And they're figuring, well, OK, if I could uh, not have that payment now, it gives me a little bit of extra money to travel, to put food on the table, to pay for certain health care, um, whatever it may be. But what you have to be conscious of is that when you pass away, that debt becomes due in full, or at least the last person on title passes away. So you've got to make sure that if you've got a common law partner or someone who is not on title, if you pass away, they're going to become homeless very quickly. Yeah, now, absolutely. Yeah, so that debt must be paid within 180 days of you or the last person on title passing on. And again, if you're forced into a home, let's say you don't die, but you're forced into a home, you need health care, um, you then have up to one year to repay the debt that you've accumulated. So you have to, again, understand that are you going to have the means to pay that debt back? 
Are you going to have enough equity left in your home after the accumulative payments that you haven't had to make uh, to still be able to pay back? And what happens if you don't? And these are some of the things that you've got to look at your contract with a reverse mortgage. Make sure you have an accountant, a lawyer, a financial advisor. Look at that and ensure that you're not biting off more than you can chew. And as bad as it may, may be to say, you want to make sure that you're not going to outlive the value of your home. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, don't so, take that debt. So Faisal, then what, what does happen if you are the last person on, on deed and, and you don't have any relatives or anything, that, anyone you want to leave things to, you are the last person in your line. What happens to your house after you die? Well, it goes to your estate. So, you know, and we're, we're going to talk about estates and dying without a will or dying without having any successors. Um, what actually happens? I mean, ultimately, it could end up with the government of Ontario. But there's a lot of people that you would want to, I'm sure, appoint as executors to your will or at least have someone who is going to inherit if there is any equity, whether it be a, your church or your your community center or your hospital. So it's very important to have that will. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later on in the segment. Welcome into another edition of Ask the Experts. So we are back with Faisal Suzuwala of Remax Twin City Realty. You can find out more on his website at homeshack.com or call 519-624-5555. Now, just before the break, our topic this hour is talking about protecting seniors and we started off by talking about the idea of a reverse mortgage, what it is and how it works. Let's talk about some of the related costs with the reverse mortgage now. Uh, what, what are the costs, Faisal? The costs are generally higher than a regular mortgage or a regular line of credit. Uh, and there's only a couple of institutions that offer, offer reverse mortgages. So because there's only a couple of institutions that are offering it, they can charge a premium. So there's the CHIP reverse mortgage program and there's Equitable Bank. These are the two that are offering this program in Canada currently. There may be more that I'm not aware of. And again, this is where you want to speak to your financial advisor to see which program or which option is best for you. But in addition to a higher interest rate that you're going to pay, you're going to pay an appraisal fee, a setup fee, a service fee, legal fees, registration fees, independent legal advice fees. And these are all in addition to your loan. So again, you've got to factor in the cost of obtaining this loan and you have to factor in the cost over time because you are paying a premium. So that's where you have to consider, are there alternatives? And when we look at what the alternatives are, you've got to almost get creative with the alternatives. You know that you own a home, and let's just say you have a family that will eventually inherit that home. And if you're at a point where you're just unable to sustain the payments and your income is just not sufficient enough to sustain those payments, then that might be a good idea to get your children or anyone who's going to inherit that to start contributing towards some of the costs to carry that home because eventually it's they're going to be the beneficiaries of that asset now that's not always the easiest thing to do but it's something to consider a line of credit is a great alternative to a reverse mortgage the difference is that a line of credit has minimum interest payments due each month 
the value of a line of credit is, is that you can go up to 65, 70, up to 80%, depending on the lender, and it's at a very minimal interest rate. So it could be as low as 1.5%. So your minimum payment on interest is going to be fairly low, which can still allow you to sustain uh, your lifestyle, make those payments, and know that you have the flexibility and you don't have this accumulative interest on interest on interest on, on, on payments that are left. And you have the peace of mind to know that you're not necessarily going to leave somebody with a whole lot of debt at the end of the day. So if, if both of those options are not feasible, then selling your home may be the only option. Now, we're very lucky right now that values have really exceeded what we ha had ever expected to happen. So you may have a lot of equity built up in your home, which allows you to take that equity out, invest some of that money, and then possibly buy something smaller, a condo, or maybe even go into a rental. If you're at a point in life where you want to distribute the money and the wealth that you have to your family while you're still alive, well, this may be an option and maybe work something out where your beneficiaries are going to sustain your lifestyle and pay for your rent because ultimately you're giving them a whack of money here that you've received from the sale of your home. Um, having yeah, other people on title is the other option. So if you're going to eventually will your home to a spouse, uh, to a common law partner, or to a child um, in your family or, or a son or daughter, you may want to have them come in at this time and start um, working with you and becoming a partner essentially on your home so that it decreases the amount of uh, monthly costs for carrying. So these are all options to consider um, before just jumping into a reverse mortgage because remember reverse mortgages are marketed very heavily right now um, you've got to see what the motivation behind that marketing is someone's making a lot of money on reverse mortgages so you can probably tell that I'm not really a pro on reverse mortgages I think there's many alternatives um, and you know we'll, we can talk about some of the pros and cons um, now if you wish and just let me give you some highlights on that end of it well, absolutely. I was going to say, it doesn't sound like you're uh, the, the biggest fan of this idea, and with especially with some, some more attractive sounding alternatives. So yeah, let's talk about the pros and cons of why someone would want to consider a reverse mortgage. Right. So, you know, I mean, the first pro is you don't have to make regular loan payments. So that's very attractive. You've got this chunk of money that you've received, $550,000 on a million dollar property. You're not making any mortgage payments at all. So that's a pro right there. You can turn some of the value of your home into cash instantly without having to sell it. So that's another pro there. You don't pay tax on the money that you're borrowing. So it's not like you've come into $500,000 as a windfall and you've got to now pay property tax on it or uh, sorry, not property, income tax on it. So you're the essentially you're getting tax free money because it's your principal residence. It's your money. It's banked in your home. It's your equity. You're taking it out. The money doesn't affect your old age income, your guaranteed income, your government pensions. It doesn't affect any of that. And you still get to own your home. But the caveat there is you own your home until you're upside down in equity. Uh, once those accumulative mortgages payments increase to a point where the value of your home is now less than what you owe against it, that's when you're going to have a challenge. And that's when you're going to leave 
your beneficiaries with a little bit of a mess. So think about that. The cons essentially are that the interest rates are higher uh, than, than most mortgages or line of credit. The equity you hold in your home may go down as you're accumulating the interest, which we've talked about quite extensively. Your estate has to pay that loan with interest in a set period of time when you die. And that's typically 180 days from when you die. Now, if your estate hasn't been settled and there's disputes or there maybe you died without a will, there may not be an opportunity to pay that down. So look at the contract. Does that home automatically become the property of the reverse mortgage company? Does it become a power of sale? Will they sell it at market value or will they just do whatever they wish? So these are all things you've got to look at. Um, and then your kids may not have the means to pay for that. So now you've actually left your kids instead of with a, uh, a beneficial um, uh, situation, you've left them with a lot of debt that they are now going to be having to take care of. So consider the other products before you jump into this. Um, getting this money out is very attractive, but there's alternative means to doing it. What are some of the questions, Faisal, that we should be asking a lender about reverse mortgages? So your first question would be, how, how can you get this money out and what are the terms? Number one, are there any fees you have to pay? What is the interest rate you're going to charge me? What possible circumstances would you consider me being in default. So if I haven't changed my roof because I can't afford to for whatever reason, am I now in default? Because some of the mortgage terms are written up that I must maintain my property. Are you gonna come and check up on me and make sure that I'm maintaining my property? So what happens in those instances? Um, how much time do I have to pay this mortgage off if we pass on? Like, will my estate have to pay it off in that 180 days or will they have a grace period? Um, what happens if it takes longer than the 180 days to pay it off because your estate has not been settled? So these are all very important questions. Um, and what ends up ultimately happening if the money you owe now is 1100000 and the property value is 900000 What happens to that 200000 Is the reverse mortgage company going to say, don't worry about it, we'll take a wash? Or are they going to come after your estate? I guess that it would be the latter. Right. Who, who else besides you should take a look at these terms? Who should you be showing this deal to? Well, I, I certainly am not the one to look at legal terms. I suggest strongly that your financial advisor, your accountant, your lawyer, and definitely someone who is not selling the product. So you don't want to ask Chip, what are the advantages of me getting a reverse mortgage? Because they're in the business of lending money for reverse mortgages and their agents are in the business of earning a commission for you to sign up with them. Equitable bank is the same thing. So you want to be, and I'm not very popular amongst financial advisors because a lot of them do offer this. And frankly, I don't care. I want people to understand the risks involved because when I get a call from that family that says I need to sell my home and this reverse mortgage is the hindrance and is going to put them into harm's way, it's certainly not the time to say, well, I wish you would have talked to a professional. Welcome back to the show. I'm Dave Callender. My guest is Faisal Siziwala, Canada's top real estate agent with Remax Twin City Realty, online at homeshack.com or pick up the phone and call 
424-5555. If you joined us partway through the show, this hour is dedicated to the idea of protecting seniors and those who are about to become retirement age. Uh, we've been talking about uh, the pros and cons of reverse mortgages. And one thing that kept coming up over and over again was the idea of having your estate planned, of having estate planning in place. And what happens if you don't have a will when you pass away? If you die without a will, the law says that you have died intestate, which means that you left no instructions how your property is to be divided or distributed and who gets what. So basically, it's kind of in limbo. So what happens at that point is um, the government could step in and look for the people that are uh, entitled to your estate. Uh, but it's going to be very expensive and there's going to be a lot of delays trying to settle your estate. If you have a spouse, but no children, your spouse will inherit everything. That's a given, but this only applies to legally married spouses. So if you're common law with someone, you don't automatically receive what they owned when they die without a will. So be very mindful of that. Some people assume, so it's not like it's your matrimonial home or it's a common law home, so I automatically get it. it it's There's actually a process that you have to go through and identify, and again, I would strongly advise a lawyer to look at your estate and see how you want it distributed because you don't want to be in a situation where the government's going to make those decisions for you. If you have a spouse and children, your spouse will take the uh, like the first $200,000 worth of assets. They're entitled to that. Anything left over, which is called the residue, so if you have another $800,000 left over, it's to be divided between your spouse and your children. But even that division is specified unless you make changes to that. And that means that you know your spouse still gets 50% and then the remaining children will get the balance of the 50%. Um, so there, in some instances, it's one third goes to the spouse and two thirds can go to the children. So you've got to specify that. Otherwise, it will follow the succession law reform, which basically outlines how everything's to be divided if you didn't leave without an estate uh, or a will. Um, if you have children but no spouse, so your spouse has already passed on, the children will inherit an equal portion of your estate. If any of them have died, the children's descendants, like grandchildren, will inherit their share. So again, it gets very complicated and all the more reason to have it specified. Now, if you have no children and no spouse and you have living parents, then your parents will inherit your estate. Um, if you have no spouse, no children, and no parents, your brothers and sisters or their children, so your nieces and nephews, will inherit and your assets will be divided amongst them. If you also have no brothers and sisters, so this is like we can keep going on and on about it, but if you have no brothers and sisters, your nieces and nephews each inherit an, an equal portion of your estate. Now, if you have no nieces and nephews, all other next of kin will inherit an equal portion of your estate. So it can continue right down the line till there's nobody. Now, let's just say you're completely alone in this world. You have no kids, no spouse, no next of kin. The great government of Ontario will inherit your estate. 
So that's in a nutshell what happens when you don't have an estate planned will. And I hope that I've scared everybody enough to go out and get a will because that's not what you want your families dealing with after you've passed on. I guess uh, the next logical question is what constitutes a will, Faisal? If we're going through your papers, we find a hand scrawled note that says, I left everything to my cat. Is that a will or, or does it have to be a legal document? My understanding is it has to be a legal document. It has to be notarized. Uh, it has to be, from my understanding, and again, I'm not a lawyer, and I, I encourage everyone to speak to a lawyer, um, that it has to be an original copy with an inked signature on it so that it can be certified. Because I don't think you can walk into the bank and say, you know, David left all of his estate to me, and here's a handwritten note on a napkin that says I could have his bank account and safety deposit box. So there's got to be some format because I think you're going to be under a lot of scrutiny if you walk in with something that's not authorized or notarized at least. So very, very important to have that drawn out. Um, an accountant should also be spoken to because when you're doing estate planning, you may want to look at trusts where you say, okay, if I should pass on today and I have a significant amount of wealth in my hands, I don't want my 17 year old inheriting all of that money tomorrow. So I need to have a power of attorney. I have to have an executor. I have to have a trustee, all of this. And look, it's not going to be cheap, but you can reach out to your bank. You can reach out to your lawyer. You can reach out to your accountant. It's better that you spend the money now and know that your affairs are in order and ensure that what your wishes are is what's going to be carried out, not what is written in law where it just gets distributed on a template. And uh, again, you've said you're, you're not a, a lawyer or, or that sort of professional, but do you have any idea what sort of costs are involved in making out a will? So making out a will, I, I think, you know, it and, and one of the times to really consider making a will is when you're buying or selling real estate, because you've already got the attention of your lawyer and chances are that the fee structure is going to be less at that time. I don't want to quote fees. I'm guessing somewhere around $1,000 per person is probably a realistic or a reasonable number. I could be off by $500 either way on that. Um, if your estate is complex, uh, where you have lots of properties, corporations, businesses, and other interests, um, you would want to get an accountant involved. Um, I've seen estate planning cost as much as 20000 25000 and I've seen it done as quickly as, uh, as reasonably as uh, $500. So it just depends on how complex your financial situation is and how many people you have to have involved in uh, making those decisions. Now, you've suggested that uh, when doing a real estate transaction, that's a good idea to think about doing it. Is there also a good age to, to think about it? I mean, I, I remember when I was in my 20s a long time ago, I thought I was immortal. And the idea of a will was like, I don't need one of those. When should when should you get one? I, I say, you know, once you start accumulating any sort of wealth, and that could be your principal residence. Once you've saved up some money and you've invested some money and you have an asset, any asset, or you have things that are meaningful to you, be it, you know, heirlooms or whatever you may have, and you want to make sure it ends up in the right hand, it's important to have a will. And you can make a very general will saying all of my assets, everything I owe, 
own will go to this individual. You can make it as simple as that. Um, at least you know that it's being dealt with according to your wishes. Um, once you start accumulating more and more, you become, and once you are married, you have children or you have dependents or whatever it may be, you have now become responsible for people in your lives that depend on you. And if you pass on, you want to ensure that the way they are accustomed to living, and if you were the primary income earner of your home, um, that they're not left scrambling because you didn't take the time to write a simple will. And it's that simple. And the complexities that I deal with, uh, when I approach someone that's passed on, uh, their family's um, uh, approaching me that because they've passed on, we're looking at, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars with lawyers and, and probate and all the things that go along with estate uh, distribution. And then the worst part of it is the conflicts that arise amongst family and siblings because they just were not told and one expected something to happen and actually didn't happen that way. Um, now we have a big issue. Uh, obviously, when you're thinking of making up a will, you have the big ticket items in mind, like real estate and, and liquid cash and maybe vehicles. Are there other things that can be included in a will that you might not think of off the top of your head? Yeah, absolutely. Art, jewelry, um, who's going to take care of your pet? Um, you know, there's so many things that uh, we take granted for that are just taken care of or you expect it's just going to happen now or, or you have certain things that you've always said, you know, I really want my son to have my watch when I pass on or I really want my daughter to have my car or, or whatever it is and you want one specific person to have one specific item. Um, those are things that it's important to specify as opposed to making it general saying all my assets go to this person or distributed evenly because how do you distribute a car evenly without selling yeah, it I, and if it me if it's sentimental value to you and to to maybe one of your children you don't want that asset being sold just for the distribution of the uh value of that absolutely uh before we move on is there anything else that you'd like to talk about when it comes to estate planning I, I just really want to urge people to please take this seriously. Uh, more and more as I've progressed in my career, I'm faced with uh, families that are, that are at conflict with each other because mom and dad didn't have a will. So please just take that seriously and, and get a will done as soon as you can. One of the other things that I know you wanted to talk about on the show today is the idea of conditional sales contracts and why we should be wary of them. Uh, I guess the best question is what are they and, and why are they not necessarily a good thing? So, you know, the, the theme of today's segment is really protecting consumers, but protecting seniors specifically. And seniors have really been targeted with these phone scams, door knocking scams, where uh, they're coming to your door saying, hey, uh, let me replace your furnace for you. Uh, you don't have to buy it. You just make minimum monthly payments of, you know, $29.99 a month. But what's actually happening is there's a registered lien that they're putting on your home. That furnace value may only be $3,000, but the lien that they put on there is $10,000. And the contract for $29.99 a month that you're signing runs for 10 years. Now, if you ever want to sell your home, that needs to get paid out because no one in their right mind is going to want to assume 
that contract when uh, you're trying to sell your home. They're like, I just bought a house. Why would I buy a home with a rented furnace? And I know the marketing. I understand the marketing. Oh, you know, we service it for free and it's headache free and you never, but you're paying for that furnace three or four times over the 10 years. Um, so you know what? Take an equity loan, take a line of credit, do something other than signing a rental conditional sales contract. I recently came across a senior who had over $20,000 worth of uh, water softener, air filtration system, reverse osmosis system, and on-demand water uh, heater. It's ridiculous, $20,000 worth of debt registered against the property and $300 a month in payments. So please don't sign these contracts without having them reviewed. And you say that they call people to, to offer these? Do these offers yes. come in the mail as well? Mail, call. Yeah, in, in the mail, we get we get other things, you know, where people are trying to buy your home for cash and you don't have to put on the market and save yourself the commission and whatnot. But this part of it is typically um, telephone, knock on the door, flyers, or just some format of just reaching you, magazines, just to get to you to say this is a really good thing for you but it really isn't on the show today we're joined by faisal suziwala of remax twin city realty you can call him at 519-624-5555 or learn more on his website at homeshack.com the theme of today's show protecting seniors and those who are about to retire uh and before the break we, we mentioned this phenomena where you get a letter in the mail and they're offering to purchase your home for cash. Uh, a lot of people have seen these. How does that work? And, and uh, why, why would we want to avoid this option? This, this is an option you want to avoid because you're not getting fully the potential of what your home is worth. And it may be a self-serving statement for me as a real estate agent because I earn a commission every time I sell a home. So of course, I don't want you to go sell your home privately. However, I want to just indicate what these programs mean. So in the old days, or even currently, you could drive by a traffic light and you see a yellow sign saying, we buy your home for cash. And you call this number and then somebody calls you and offers you a price or comes to your home and visits you. Then that whole marketing evolved into um, the iBuyer. And that's, you know, it's a, it's a fancy way, you know, you got the iPhone and the iBuyer. And an iBuyer is, I buy your home for cash without you having to put it on the market. But I'm not gonna give you what your home is really worth. I'm gonna take all the inconveniences away from you. I'm going to do it so that you don't have to ever show your home. You can live in your home as it is for the next 60 days, don't have to pay anything. And I'll just cut you a check in 60 days and, and you're out and uh, we don't have to put it on the market. And that's a simple way of selling the home as is. Then comes along this mailbox uh, ad, which looks like a handwritten letter, which is beautifully done. I've got to commend the marketing. Like it looks like somebody took the time to handwrite David a letter to say, Dear David, we drove by your home. Um, we're a young family. We're looking to buy a home in your area. Uh, please give us a call. What that really is, you may think it's a young family, but it's actually a large group of investors that are preying on seniors especially 
and offering them a value. David, you don't know the number of times that I go into a home and I tell them what their home is worth and their jaws drop. They're like, what? Because remember, we've had 35 to 40% increase in values over the past year. So last year, you may have talked to a friend and they said, oh, I just sold my house for $600,000. And you're like, oh, my house is exactly like that. So mine must be worth that. And you don't think about it again until this year, somebody comes and says, hey, I'll give you $600,000 for your home. And you're thinking, oh, yeah, you know, my friend sold it last year for 600. So it's probably worth the same. Reasonable. I don't have to pay commissions. I don't have to show my house. I don't have to do any repairs. So let me sell for 600. When reality is that that house is probably worth $800,000 today and you left $200,000 on the table. And this is the reason that I'm cautioning, especially seniors, because they may not be tech savvy. They're probably not Googling their address to see, you know, what does Zillow say and what does, uh, you know, the different websites or MLS or whatever it is, what are the values that, that my home could fetch today? So get some professional advice. Look, if you wanna do it that way, do it that way, but get at least two or three opinions from a realtor. If you don't want a realtor, get an appraiser in there to come in and give you a true value of your home, then make that decision and do not use the appraiser or the realtor that the iBuyer or the person who's making you the offer is recommending. Get independent advice so that you can make a thoughtful and informative decision before you sign your agreement to sell your home to someone. Realtors are doing this, individuals are doing this, corporations are doing this, you don't know who's behind that purchase and what their motivation is. But I can assure you, you may think you're saving money, but you're actually leaving a ton of money on the table. But that's the thing. It seems like it's convenient for a senior and all they see is this idea that I'm not going to be paying commissions. I'm going to save the commission. So Faisal, run us through the process of going the traditional route of calling a realtor like yourself. Is there really savings in the end? And, you know, there were markets where one can argue that a home is sitting on the market 60 days, 90 days, it's not getting bids. If somebody's offering me a reasonable price for my home without all the inconvenience, why don't I just take that offer? I totally agree. There may be some merit in taking an offer like that in those markets. Let's look at today's market. If I list your home on Monday, I'm going to allow showings for one week. I'm going to set a present presentation date, a time where I would like all offers submitted. So one week forward, you must show up as an agent with a bank draft, with an offer, usually unconditional if you want to win, with significantly over what I'm asking for the home, because that's the game we're playing now. Homes are not selling for what they're listed for. Homes are selling for 10%, 15%, 20% more than the asking price. Why not participate in that auction? Why not involve your home in that process where buyers today are programmed to pay more than what you're asking? You know, it's interesting. A Toronto buyer comes into town, says, Faisal, you're asking $6.99. They don't ask me, what do you think I can get it for? They ask me, how much more do you think I need to pay to get this house? Isn't that a great conversation? We're not saying how much less are you willing to take? They're saying, how much more should I give you? I would like the opportunity to buy your home and I'll pay you a premium for that. That's the conversation we're having today. So why would one 
rationally sell their property to a iBuyer postcard in the mailbox or a sign on the street saying, I'll pay you cash. And there's programs that are available. I have a program myself where up to $25,000, I will loan you at no interest and no payments to help you improve your home until your home is sold. So you have no reason to say my home is in disrepair. I don't have the money to repair it. So that $25,000 could go a long way in doing the repairs, which ultimately will get you a higher return when you sell your house. You win, I win. Yes, I'm getting paid. There's, we're not going to say I'm not getting paid. I'm not doing a, a community service here. I'm getting paid, but I'm getting paid to get you more money. What, what those programs are doing is taking advantage of people who would never know and understand. And I see, I can see what that house was purchased for and three months later, what it's flipped for. Realtors, shame on you for doing it. Investors, shame on you for taking advantage of, of unsuspecting seniors. Just be mindful and get advice. Get people advice before you sign up on these contracts. Some really great advice. And again, if you have a senior in your life who uh, is thinking about selling a home or maybe looking at a reverse mortgage, do do encourage them to get some of that professional advice before they, they dive on in. And just before we finish the show, we do want to mention the fact that you're not just a great realtor. You are, you are a, a published author now. Uh, tell us once again about the book, The Real Deal. All right, here's my shameful plug here of uh, uh, of The Real Deal. It's a basically a journey uh, memoir of my life in real estate. Uh, started at the age of 18, uh, 33 years this year in the business, loving every minute of it. Uh, it's had some challenges, some failures, some successes, but overall it's been a, an awesome ride and I've often been asked to speak to groups and whatnot. And I wanted to put that all in one place where uh, it could inspire young people. I was 18 when I started and I was lost and didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so there's some inspiration in there. There's some strategies in there for investors, people looking at, you know, how do I build wealth? Uh, I've been very fortunate that I've learned along the ways and implemented and well basically whatever I've learned I've put into the book and then for my fellow realtors uh, there's some strategies on uh, marketing and sales which uh, I hope is uh, valuable to those who have uh, received the book. The Real Deal available as a book and also an audio book on Amazon. Faisal thank you so much for being on the show once again always great to have you. My pleasure thank you for having me David. If you'd like to get a hold of Faisal Suziwala with Remax Twin City Realty, call him at 519-624-5555 or learn more online at homeshack.com. Thanks for listening. Join us again next Saturday for more of Ask the Experts here on 570 News.